0: Today is Palm Sunday, and it's it's the day that we um, we, we think we remember Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, and that occurred just a few days before um, he would be arrested, you know, be, before he was betrayed, arrested, um, and crucified. And you know, to me, it's one of these fascinating stories because you know Jesus comes into Jerusalem, um, taking it over as king, declaring himself king, and, and you have this. Idea where he gets on this colt um, donkey comes into the town and and he's celebrated. There, there's this massive parade. Uh, they're they're chanting. Um, they're they're screaming Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna as Jesus comes in and. And these are people who have kind of witnessed Jesus in his ministry. They've seen all these amazing uh, miracles that he's done. They've seen him heal people. Uh, They're they're still mindful of him bringing Lazarus back from the dead. And and so they've seen all this amazing stuff. And and they're worshiping and they're they're hollering and and everything's great about Jesus. And it uh, amazes me that within just a few short days, I mean even hours, um, those shouts of Hosanna... Glory in the highest. Turn to shouts of crucify him. Um, and this last few days leading up to this week as I was um, reading over our, our scripture that we, were, we began going through the book of Daniel, it led me to kind of come to this idea, this, this thought about you know, how legitimate is our Worship. How legitimate is the things that we're saying? Um, and so, I, I, this morning, I want us—if you have your Bibles—open them up to Daniel chapter one. And last week we read Daniel one, one through um, verse eight. And I'm going to start up again in verse eight again, and we're going to we're going to read to the end of the chapter. And and this is again probably a pretty familiar story. And and this might not be necessarily one of these like triumphal entry, you know, Palm Sunday type messages. But but stick with me as we try and bring this. To Palm Sunday. So, Daniel chapter 1, starting in verse 8, and it says, But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my Lord the king, who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he for why should he see that you are in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. And then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, "Test your servants for ten days. Let us be given to vegetables to eat and to, or vegetables to eat and water to drink. And then let us let our appearance." And the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you, and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. And at the end of the ten days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So So the steward took away the food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. And as for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding, about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all this his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for Palm Sunday and what it represents. in this season, um, as we begin to ponder and think of Good Friday, the day that we acknowledge as, as the day in which you died on the cross for our sins, and and next Sunday, as we gather again together, we, we come with a, a true spirit of celebration, knowing that Easter Sunday is the day that you conquered death. Easter Sunday is the day that, that the, the tomb was empty and you were risen. And Lord, so we thank you for this season. And I, I pray this morning and all throughout the week, you use things in our lives to grab a hold of our attention, to grab a hold of our hearts and mold us and use us, draw us closer to you. It's in your son's beautiful and precious name that we pray. Amen. And so this is a, a familiar story. So, so Daniel, again, we talked about this last week. Daniel, and his, he, he, his area, his territory, land he grew up in Judah was conquered by the Babylonians. And, and what was the common practice of King Nebuchadnezzar is when they would take over a land, over an area... Uh, they would go through and they would find like the cream of the crop, like the best of the young people. Uh, typically it was people of, of some nobility, um, some, some that, that, that were smart, were intelligent, were strong, were good looking. All those good characteristics. And the same holds true in Judas. They go through, they'd, they'd, they'd go, and the Bible doesn't tell us how many, but they grabbed people from Judah and they brought them back to King Nebuchadnezzar. And in this story, as we talked about last week, these Daniel, and, and the Bible mentions three of his friends, um, they were given, their, their Hebrew names were taken away and they were given these Babylonian names. And, and so oftentimes we remember Daniel as Daniel, but his three buddies we remember as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Their Babylonian new names. And then they're immersed in this new culture, and they're being trained um, by, by the, these eunuchs, and, and they go through this three years' worth of education. When, when it was done, they would stand before the king himself, King Nebuchadnezzar, and he would inspect these graduates. And then from there, they would be placed into his administration. We don't know exactly how old Daniel was, um, he was probably somewhere between the age of 12 and 17. Most commentators go with the age 15. He was young. And again, remember, he's, he and his, his three pals are, are taken away from his home country. He's taken away from mom and dad. He's taken away from his home, from his country. Uh, he's in a foreign land with a foreign God, with foreign food, and everything is different. And although he is treated with, with good food and, and, and given the best of the education he's still a foreigner he's still held captive and as we talked about last week he's okay with the new name he's okay with the, 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 the education but all of a sudden when it comes to this new diet he applies the brakes and he says no I, I told you last week the first part of Daniel 1 verse 8 and It's in the ESV it says that Daniel was resolved, but I love the way that King James mentions it writes it, it says that Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile God, I love the way it says purposed in his heart like that's more than just a a little decision that's more than a small conviction like he gave himself wholly to God and to the point where he would not do anything did not want anything become, to come between him and God and, and he did not want to do anything that would cast God in a bad light and so there's this issue with with the diet and last week I told you that that more than likely a um, part of it was against the the, the law of Moses you know, If we go back and we were to read in the Old Testament, there was these specific types of foods they were allowed to eat. And so more than likely, it wasn't necessarily kosher food. That, that could be part of his hang-up. Uh, the other thing during this day is, is that um, there were special practices according to the law in which they had to drain the blood from the animal before they could cook it. And during this time, most of the food was brought before these false gods first, sacrificed to these gods. And so what Daniel was saying is, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to, give any, I'm not going to eat anything, drink anything that was given to a false god first. I love how he goes about this, though. It, it, even though he's got this purpose in his heart, he goes to this chief eunuch in a calm manner, and he, he makes a request. He explains his, his religious dealings that are causing his desire not to eat this food. And he, he goes in a, in, a, in a nice way. And he talks to this chief of eunuchs. Uh, it's interesting because the Bible tells us that we don't know why. I don't, I, it was a God thing that, that this chief eunuch had a special place in his heart for Daniel. And as much as he respected Daniel, as much as he liked Daniel, as much as he wanted to see Daniel prosper, the one thing that he was more concerned about was his own head. And so as Daniel comes up and says, hey, listen, um, we don't want to eat the king's food. Now, remember, the king's food is like the best of the best, the best in the land. It's like the filet mignon and lobster tail. Okay, it's the good stuff. And Daniel says, listen, I don't want to eat that. Just give me some broccoli, green beans, and water. (laughs) Sounds like the Warren household. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely not my household. (laughs) It doesn't make sense to us, does it? Like most of us aren't going to trade in a steak for green beans. Maybe green beans with the steak, but not the steak for green beans. And most of us would say, like, more than likely they're going to get the good food, um, and this guy's going to go on this, like, vegetarian diet. And when you compare the two at the end, like, you're probably going to have this scrawny little guy here, and these beefed up fellas over here. And Daniel just, in a polite manner, says to the eunuch, Listen, let's just, can we try it for 10 days? Let's just see what happens for 10 days. And he signs off on it. And it's amazing because after the 10 days, he comes up and they compare Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to the rest of the people, the rest of the group that's being trained. And there's a noticeable difference between Daniel and the rest of the group. That, that Daniel and his buddies were stronger stronger. Um, I love it when they get to before King Nebuchadnezzar. They talk about how they were fatter. And then the eunuch signs off and says, all right, I guess go for it, continue on it. And they go through, and think about this. For the next three years, they're eating nothing but vegetables and drinking water. And the rest of the group is still maintaining this best of the best diet like of all the fine foods of the land they're eating it and i find it so amazing that when the time comes at the end of their education all the graduates are brought up and i think this is fascinating because you have to remember like this is a big empire the babylonian empire at this time is big it's the largest empire in the known world historians tell us that king nebuchadnezzar was probably the most powerful man to walk the face of this earth And King Nebuchadnezzar himself shows up and he goes over the graduating class. And he inspects each member. And Not only does he ask these guys questions to see how much they've learned, but he goes and he compares each member within the class. When it's all said and done, Daniel and his three buddies, the Bible tells us, was ten times better than everybody else. That's an awesome story, isn't it? That's amazing to see how, how Daniel and his buddies, they, they were given so much to God that they would not flinch. Now, again, the reality is, going back to last week, you think about this. They're away from mom and dad. They're they're away from everyone that they knew. They're away from their pastor. They're away from everything. Like, it would have been easy for them to walk in there and just do as everyone else was doing. That would have been the easy thing to do. Like, because no one's going to know about it. Like, they're captives. As I started thinking about that, I, and I was thinking about this triumphal entry, those crowds, like as Jesus is walking into Jerusalem and he's declaring himself king, like they're shouting amazing things. And, and folks, I believe this, at that moment, they were being Genuine. I don't think they were lying. I don't think they were faking it. I think they were like, "This is awesome! I've seen him do amazing things." I I was there when he fed. He took this little boy's lunch and he fed five thousand people. Like I I, I saw him like breathe into Lazarus, and I saw Lazarus walk out. I I saw him take this cripple man and, and put him into this fountain, and all of a sudden he walks up and he's running around. Like, I, I think they were genuine in this celebration. They saw, they knew, they, they had attained this head knowledge, but they had not allowed that knowledge to travel to their hearts. They hadn't done what Daniel did and purposed in their heart to follow this Savior. It's interesting, as you go all throughout Scripture, you see this this battle between pleasing God and pleasing man. Um, Jesus himself in John 12, 43, after the triumphal entry, makes this statement. He says, for they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. In Luke chapter 16, Jesus, again, um, after telling the parable of the dishonest manager, makes this statement. He said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Titus 1.16 says this. Paul was writing. A lot of Titus is giving direction to the church and the leaders of the church. He makes this statement or observation. He says, They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. And a lot of these statements, especially the ones that Jesus makes and John and Luke are directed towards the Pharisees, like religious people, like people that were in churches, people that were in the synagogues, people that knew Scripture. And if we, if we fast forward past the triumphal entry, we pass forward over to the ones who are, are coming up with this plan to, to arrest and crucify Christ. It was all driven by the religious leaders. They knew about God, They knew the Bible, but it never traveled to their hearts. I, most of the scripture that I read is from the ESV, but the New Living Translation, I, this is, writes it in somewhat of a simple manner. In Exodus 23, is part of the Law of Moses. Moses makes a statement. He says, You must not follow the crowd in doing wrong. When you are called to testify in a dispute, do not be swayed by the crowd. To twist justice. If you're like me, um, that's not always easy to do. Most of us enjoy being liked. There are a small minority that don't care, and there's probably an even smaller minority who enjoy being not liked. Most of us would much rather have the high-five, the pat on the back, good job, conversation. But that warning that Moses is giving to, that pe- to the people back then, and still rings true today, is if our compass in life is being directed by trying to keep everybody happy, we're going to be in trouble. Uh, Proverbs 2526 and Proverbs is written by Solomon, king david 's son, and Solomon the wisest man made this statement. He says, "Like a muddied spring or a polluted fountain is a righteous man who gives away before the wicked. As I started thinking about these worshipers this week, I, I myself found myself pondering what What worship camp would I be in? Would I be like that crowd in the triumphal entry who when everybody else around me is praising Jesus, who when everybody else is celebrating Jesus, I'll be right there in the thick of it. But then when the tides change and the sentiment of the people changes, do I change? Like it's easy in church for me to stand before you and talk about Jesus and read the Bible because you guys are all here with Bibles and you came to hear me talk about the Bible so that's easy. But when it's talk with my next door neighbor who doesn't believe in Jesus and frankly doesn't want to hear about Jesus. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a family member. Am I going to buckle then? Maybe remain silent? Maybe even join in with some of the jokes about God? Peter, um, in Acts chapter 5, The apostles had been arrested, and they were standing before the Jewish council. They'd been arrested because of their faith, because of their preaching. And Peter stands before the high priest. The high priest begins to ask them questions, and he makes this statement. He says, but Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than man. See, God knows our heart. God knew Daniel's heart. Daniel had purposed in his heart to remain faithful to God, even in difficult circumstances. And the circumstances that he found himself in were hard. And they would remain difficult. He would remain captive his whole life. And although God blesses him, and we see this all throughout the rest of the chapter Daniel, that God blesses him. He stays in a, a place in which God uses him. He plays, stays in a place of prominence that God continues to use him underneath the kings, but he's still captive. Daniel never wavers. Never changes. Remains absolute in his walk. We know the stories of Peter and the disciples. If you ever want to embark on an interesting study, study the lives of the disciples before Jesus was crucified and then look at their lives after his resurrection. transformed and those were godly guys those were guys that were with jesus like every day for three and a half years but it wasn't until after the resurrection that you saw that the knowledge traveled from their head to their hearts and you see it in peter the same guy who would deny christ three times stands before the high priest as he's arrested and says i will rather serve god than men That's change That's a man who had given himself absolutely and wholly to God. This morning, I want us to consider what camp we find ourselves in. Have we purposed in our heart like Daniel? Or are we just going to hang with the crowd? Let's pray. Lord, um, this morning as we um, spend the next few moments preparing for communion, God, I pray that you you reveal yourself to us. I pray, um, Lord, that You help us to, to seriously look at our lives and consider that question. Where do I stand? Is my faith built only on convenience? Is my faith built on my mom and dad bringing me to church and that being it? Is my faith determined by social acceptance of those I'm hanging around? Or have we allowed our relationship to travel from our heads to our hearts? Have, have we come to a place in our lives where we just say, God, I'm yours, holy. I purpose in my heart not to defile you. I know I'll never be perfect. I'm going to mess up. I know that. But at the end of the day, God, I want to do everything that brings honor and glory to you. Help me not be like the triumphal entry crowd who follows the direction of the wind. Give me the backbone of a Daniel. Lord, I pray, I pray that you convict us all. Help us be mindful of this amazing season. Give us a glimpse, even this morning as we do communion, but what this is all about. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. This morning we're doing communion, and um, I want to explain a little bit about how we're doing this for those who are maybe this is your first time here, or it's been a while. In a few moments, we're going to, um, we're going to watch a, a video to help bring us to a place. After the video, I'm going to come back up and read a little bit of passage, and then we're going to have some music playing. I'm going to ask those who want to participate to be able to come forward and grab um, and get their elements here. We have uh, grape juice in the cups, and then we have the little wafers for the bread. This is uh, what's important. It, it, there's several things, in this morning when we do the actual communion part, I'm going to read from from Matthew in the when Jesus is doing the Last Supper because of the season. But in First Corinthians chapter eleven, Paul gives some instructions about communion, and I, I want to always always try and be very clear when we do this because I, I think sometimes we can just we can skip through this and we can we can run through this and boom, we just do it because we do it. It's a Christian thing we do, it. it's a thing that the church does on occasion. But but this is what's important. Um, Paul in First Timothy chapter eleven says this. As he's kind of going over the the um sacraments, you know, he he talks about in verse 23 says, For I received from the Lord that I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is in you. Do this in remembrance of me. I guess we have some workout crews going out behind us. Um, In the same way, also, he took the cup. After supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in the blood. Do this as often as you drink in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Listen to this part very carefully. Verse 27 says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat the bread and drink the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself that's pretty strong talk isn't it what what paul is saying is this as we'll talk about in a moment this juice symbolizes the blood of christ and this bread the wafer symbolizes the body of christ and if we're going to go in this haphazardly If we're going to go into this with with stuff, with sins in our lives that we have to resolve, then it's as if we're mocking God and the sacrifice that he did for us. And so what we have is the next few moments, what I believe is so special about communion, is we, we can spend some time getting before God, bearing our hearts to him, if there's things in our lives that we need to get right, we can get right with him. And then we can partake in communion. Okay? My belief is this. We, we don't, as a church, we don't, we don't even have established membership right now. So, so it's not even like a matter where, where you're only allowed to take this if you're a member of our church. That's not it. Uh, my belief is this. Those, those who have believe in Jesus Christ and have accepted him as their Lord and Savior, we're all invited to the table of Christ. And so the next few moments, we're going to watch this video, and I'm going to be honest with you, I, I sent a little email out. It's a little, it, it, it is intense. Um, this particular video, it's a, there's a song, but within the song, there's, there's clips from The Passion of the Christ, a movie that came out a few years ago. And we don't necessarily always do this, but I think in light of the season, in light of the sacrifice, as difficult as it may be to watch I believe it's important that we, that we watch this. And so what we're going to do is, is Anthony's going to play this video for us, and then um, when the video's over, I'm going to give us a few more instructions, and then we'll continue. So, Anthony, can you... I think it's important for us to just be mindful of... That sacrifice, and um, what, what we saw here was hollywood 's version of of that, and um, and while I think it 's a great depiction of it, I think the actual event was probably much, much worse and so this morning, um, as we consider the blood of Christ and the body of Christ, um, may that be some of the imprints on our minds but, but not that we're just celebrating brutality but we remember that it was a sacrifice a sacrifice that God through Jesus Christ made for us so in just a moment we're, we're going to have um, a song that we'll be playing and it's just kind of a music video but, but for those who want to participate in communion once the music starts, simply just come up here, um, grab your, your cup, the, the grape juice and a wafer, and then go back to your seats. And then once everyone's done, once everybody has your element, um, then, then we'll proceed. But we're going to let this song go all the way through. And I really, I, what I want you to think about and consider is, is as you get back to your seat, that you spend a few moments in some quietness with God. Get your heart right with him. And we'll go from there. So I'm going to pray first, and then after I'm done praying, the, the music will start, and then just find get your elements, and then go back to your seats and then wait until, we, so we can do them all together as a faith family. Lord, um, this morning, God, we come before you in this time of communion, time that we think about, we ponder consider the sacrifice that you made for us. And we do this this morning in remembrance of you. Let us, Lord, now come before you. Cleanse us, purify us, and prepare us. In your son's beautiful and precious, in the holy name we pray. Amen. So for those who want to participate, why don't you come forward, get your elements, and then go back to your seats. In uh, Matthew chapter 26, Matthew records that Last Supper. And Jesus and the disciples are gathered together. And um, in the midst of that evening, as they prepared for their meal, Jesus took that time to stop and to teach those disciples he said this in verse 26. and says, Now as they were eating, Jesus took the bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body. Let's pray and then we're going to eat. Lord, this piece of bread this morning symbolizes your body. And although it's, it's not literally your body, it's just a piece of bread. It reminds us of a body that was broken, that was beaten for my sins. Lord, we thank you for that sacrifice. In your son's name, we pray. Amen. Take eat this, do in remembrance of him. And verse 27 says, And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So This cup of grape juice is not literally the blood of Christ. It only serves as an illustration, a reminder, as we saw in that video of of blood that was shed for you and for me. Lord, we thank you for this season, this great reminder of the sacrifice and how our salvation came at a great, great price. And you lovingly shed your blood for us. We thank you, God. In your son's beautiful name we pray. Amen. So this morning we drink this in remembrance of him. This season is a beautiful time of year, isn't it? In the midst of all the craziness, spring hits, and there's a greenness outside, and there's this sense of new life. And this morning, you know, we come and we, we think about a triumphal entry. We think about the hardships. We, we, we talk about what camp I may be when it comes to worship. We watch a video where we think about this horrible, horrific event that occurred on Good Friday and this, this death on a cross that was so destructive. But yet the story doesn't end with a beaten, bloodied Savior, does it? No, because next Sunday we come back and we celebrate a risen Savior, someone who, who didn't just come back in spirit, came back in body. And so this, this next Sunday, I hope that you come. I hope you bring people with you. I hope you bring people that don't know Christ. I hope you bring people that do know Christ. We're going to throw a big party to celebrate Jesus coming back to life, resurrecting from the, the dead a Savior that conquered death. How awesome is that? Pretty cool, isn't it? Uh, this morning we're going to do our as an offering at the very end. Um, and then I'm going to pray for that, and then we're going to play a little music for the little bit of time it takes to collect your offerings. And then um, when we're done, I'll tell you guys to get lost, and then you guys can leave, okay? It's like a plan. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for all the things you've done for us. Lord, we thank you for, again, just a good morning. We thank you for the tithes and offerings that we're about to collect, Lord. We ask that you use them um, for your honor, for your glory, using them to further your gospel. Help us to show your love to those in our community. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to stop and be reminded of this sacrifice through communion. Lord, we love you and we thank you for everything you've done for us. We look forward to all the amazing things yet to come. It's in your son's beautiful, precious, holy, amazing, and awesome name we pray. Amen.